Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Queen's Table Podcast. I'm your host, Marissa J. And today we are having a very special episode. So let me go ahead and give you a little bit of backstory. I was invited to speak at a protest this coming up Saturday, June 20th in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Now, the guy who organized this protest, major shout out to Michael Sangetti. Yo, he down. He's so down for the cause. Super down. So when he asked, he sent me the flyer and he he offered to have me speak. And I was like, no, nah, they ain't ready for what I what I'm what I have to say. And he said, you know, I get that. I can get that either way, whether or not you want to speak. But let me just go ahead and tell you that, you know, I'm using my privilege as a white guy to get this protest starting so that people like you who have something to say can get out there and say it. I was like, you know what? That's dope. So <laughs> let me go ahead and do it. Now, while he's organizing this, he had gotten uh, several more people to speak, which I think is absolutely amazing. I love it. Um, and but that 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 cut my speech down to um, um uh, I don't know how, 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 honestly, I really don't know how long <laughs> the speech that I'm going to say in public. Um, I don't know how, how long that speech is going to be. I think I'm getting that cut down to about 15 minutes or so. However, I wanted to go ahead and do the full speech in its entirety because there are so many things in it that are so incredibly relevant People need to know. So I am going ahead and doing this full speech on this show. Um, let me think. Is there anything else that I need to know? Okay. Oh, yes. One last thing. If you are a first time listener of the Queen's Table podcast, please be aware that I do have a very foul mouth. Okay, I curse a lot, a lot. However, I am well aware that, you know, I'm going to have to tone it down while I'm in outside and and that's not an issue for me. Um, but on this show, if I let a curse word slip, one or two slip, please don't come for me. Okay, I'm trying to keep this as clean as I possibly can. All right, so without further ado, Let's get into the speech. <sighs> so, <laughs> um, what you're about to hear, like next, uh, after I get done saying this little bit, that's what I was supposed to say at the speech or with my speech at the protest today. Um, it didn't turn out that way, bruh. It did not <laughs> turn out that way. It didn't. It didn't. Rissa went the fuck off, yo. Rissa went the fuck off. Rissa went the fuck off. And Rissa started a whole fucking revolution. So, <laughs> yo, this is like legitimately 41 minutes after I've left the protest. Um, I had to take some time to kind of get to a safe place, calm myself down. Nerves are absolutely shot. Fights kept breaking out relatively close next to me major shout out to Zach McKinney um for fucking protecting me the entire time 
guys, it was a whole mess. How are you going to have counter protesters? We are protesting this fucking statue in the middle of the town fucking square is what the fuck we're doing. And you're going to show up to protest us protesting it. I'm fucking tired. The revolution is fucking here, guys. What I said, what I ended up saying at that speech, yo, I said, we all got to go home. We all got to go home. White, black, because white folks is pissed with this shit too. White folks is fed up with the shits too. So God damn it, if you ready to come, come on. Shit. If you ready to pack the fuck up and go, I'm not playing. I'm not playing. I'm not playing. I'm not playing. Just yesterday, Beyonce released Black Parade. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it because that's the new goddamn anthem. That's the new goddamn anthem. Y'all, it's time to go. So I guess enjoy the speech that never was. I suppose. <laughs> and and stay tuned for the next little bit of whatever it is I got to say, because we finna come up with a whole plan. We finna come up with a whole plan. Okay. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. I want to go ahead and welcome, want to welcome everyone that has come out today. I see some friendly faces. I see some enemies as well, because you can't have a crowd this big without having a few enemies. So welcome to everyone. Now, before I get started, I want to go ahead and warn you that what I am going to say in the next few moments here, it's going to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to say things that are going to make you feel some type of way. You're not going to like what I have to say, but it needs to be said. It needs to be said because it is relevant today. A few days ago, I drove my son down Manny Avenue. And at the end of Manny Avenue, there is a mansion called Oakland's Mansion. But it's not just any regular mansion. No, no. It was the plantation owned by the Manny family. Now, if you've ever been over there, you'll know that they have a playground set up next to it, a walking trail on the property. People go there for picnics and and take wedding photos there, even hold entire weddings. It's a venue. This plantation is a venue. And when we went down there, we discussed a lot of different things, a lot of different things that goes into running a plantation. And part of our discussion led towards the different types of people that were on that plantation. Today, I want to get into two of the types of slaves that were on every plantation. First, you've got the house Negro. 
The house Negro lived close by his master. He didn't live in a, a shack outside with the outside ones. No, no. He stayed in the big house. And his room may have been in the attic or in the basement, but either way, he was in his house with his master. The house Negro was educated. The house Negro dressed well. The house Negro got to eat good. The scraps from his slave master. Nevertheless, he got to eat good. When the slave master would turn to his house Negro and say, Tom, we sure do have a good house, don't we? Tom would respond, Why, yes, boss, we sure do got a good house. If the slave master coughed, Tom would say, Boss, is we sick? He would equivocate himself to his master. Why? Because he loved his master. He loved his master so much more than the master loved himself. If the big house caught on fire, that house Negro would pray for rain. And if you were to go to this house Negro and say house Negro, it's time to separate. It's time to go. Let's run away. That house Negro would respond. Well, why when we got it so good? The second type of slave that you would have on the plantation is the field Negro. The field Negro was beaten from sunup till sundown. The field Negro didn't get to dress very well. He got hand-me-downs from his grandfather. The house Negro or the field Negro did not eat table scraps from his slave master. He got to eat pig guts. Today we call them chitlins. But it was pig guts. Nonetheless, they were gut eaters and some of us still are gut eaters if the big house caught on fire the field negro would not pray for rain he'd pray for a wind and if you were to go to the field negro and say let's separate let's get away from here let's run away that field Negro's only response will be when, because anywhere is better than here. Just as the slave master in that day used Tom, the house Negro to keep the field Negro's in check, the same slave master today has black people who are nothing but modern day Uncle Tom's. 21st century Uncle Tom's to keep us in check. 
to keep us under control, to keep us passive and peaceful and nonviolent. When you go to the dentist and he pulls your tooth without any medication, what are you going to want to do to that dentist when he is pulling and pushing and twisting and prying that tooth out? You're going to want to hit him because it hurts. You're in pain. You are suffering. So what does that dentist do? He shoots you up with some Novocaine. Why? So that way he can push and pull and twist and pry that tooth out. Blood gushing down your jaw. Yet you are blissfully unaware of the suffering that is happening. That is what these 21st century Uncle Toms are. Social Novocaine. Now don't get me wrong. I don't mean always be in warrior mode. Be intelligent. Be peaceful. Be courteous. Obey the law. Respect everyone. But if somebody puts their hands on you, you send them to the cemetery. An eye for an eye. Ain't that what your Bible taught you? A tooth for a tooth. A head for a head. A life for a life. Anyone resenting that philosophy is nothing but a wolf who intends to make you his meal. They are the wolf. You are the sheep. Anytime a shepherd teaches not to run away from the wolf and yet at the same time teaches don't fight the wolf. He is a traitor to you and me. Preserve your life. It is the best thing that you've got. And if you got to give it up, let it be Eve Stephen. The house need growth strategy is still used today. You take the so-called house Negro and you make him prominent. You build him up. You publicize him. Make him a celebrity. And then he becomes a spokesman for Negroes. A Negro leader. That is not the black revolution. Now I'm going to school you on a little bit of history. I'm going to say some things that's going to shake you to your core. What you thought you knew about that March on Washington is not what happened. When King failed to desegregate Albany, Georgia, the civil rights struggle in America reached its low point. He became bankrupt as a leader and even financially. And other major leaders became fallen idols as well. And as they lost their prestige and influence, local black leaders started to stir up the masses at the grassroots level. This had never been done by those of you know of prominent stature. They controlled you, but they never incited or excited you. They contained you. They kept our people on the plantation. And as King failed, black folks took to the streets. And of course, there was beef that was starting. 
between these high-level activists and they lost control of the masses? Do you remember Birmingham before Kennedy sent in the troops? Then Kennedy got on TV and said that this was a moral issue. Everybody was pissed. White Southerners didn't even want the Civil Rights Bill passed. Of course not. So what did we do? We planned that march on Washington to ensure that that bill would be passed. Tie up the government so they couldn't proceed. They even planned to lay down on the runway so planes could not land. That was revolution. It was the grassroots out in the street and it terrified the white power structure in D.C. to death. You have your phone. Google it and let it be known that what I'm saying is truth. When they found out that this black steam roller was fixated onto the Capitol, they called in Wilkins and Randolph and all these national leaders that we come to respect and told them, call it off. Kennedy said, look, y'all letting this go too far. And you know how they responded? Well, I can't stop it because I didn't start it. I can't end it because I ain't even in it. And that old fox said, well, if you ain't in it, I'm going to put you in it. I'll put you at the head of it. I'll endorse it. Welcome it. Help it. Hell, I'll join it. And just hours later, there was a meeting at the Carlisle Hotel in New York City, owned by the Kennedy family. In a top philanthropic society headed by a man named Stephen Courier, a white man named Stephen Courier, called all the top civil rights leaders to that hotel. And they told them, hey, your petty bickering is destroying the civil rights movement, the one that we can control. And since you're fighting over money from white liberals, because that's what it was about, let's be real. Let's set up the council for united civil rights leadership. That's how that got started. That way, all of the civil rights organizations will belong to it and will use it for fundraising purposes. Does, does, does this structure seem a little bit familiar to you? We want police reform. Okay, we'll ban chokeholds. Make it make sense. They elected a black man named Whitney Young as chairman. Who was the co-chairman? You guessed it, millionaire Stephen Courier. Powell knew about it. Randolph knew about it. Wilkins knew about it. King knew about it. Every one of the so-called big six. Once they formed it, with whom they thought was an ally heading it, they had promised them and gave them $800,000 to split up between the big six. And then said, after the march was over, they would get an extra 700000 more. That is a million and a half split up between the, these six leaders. 
These six leaders that everyone was following and going to jail for. And once they set up and organized through the privilege of Stephen Courier, top public relations experts were made available to them. The entire news media across the country at their disposal. And then they began to project the big six as the leaders of the march. Originally, they weren't even in the march. They took it over. And the first move that they made when they took it over was they invited Walter Luther and a priest and a rabbi and a preacher, all of them white. Hardly any black voices were heard outside of that big six. The same element that it put Kennedy in office had joined this march on Washington. It's like what happens when you, you make your coffee too strong. What do you do? You integrate it with some cream. You make it hot to cool. From strong to weak. Wake you up. Put you to sleep. They didn't just integrate it. They infiltrated it. And as they took it over, they lost its militancy. They ceased to be angry. They ceased to be hot. They ceased to be uncompromising. Why it even ceased to be a march. It became a picnic, a circus with clowns and all. And I know you don't like what I'm saying, but I'm going to tell you anyway. It was a sellout. Let's call a spade a spade. It was a takeover. When James Baldwin came back from Paris, they wouldn't let him speak because he refused to go by the script. They knew he was liable to say anything. They controlled it so tight. They told folks what time to hit town, how to come, where to stop, what sign to carry, what song to sing, what speeches they could and could not make. And then they told them to get their black asses out of town before sundown. And they did. It was the performance of the year. Now, I know you don't want to hear this. I told you at the beginning, you ain't ready for what I got to say. But I say all of that to say this. I need I need to make a few points known. First of all, the first point that I'd like to make is that in the same fashion that we have had have house Negroes out here in the streets in the town of Murfreesboro. And in that same fashion, okay, the same ones, these, these house Negroes that got a little bit of power, got a little bit of control, but somebody got to keep the house Negroes in check. So we keep a statue of a Confederate Soldier in this town square. Notice how I didn't say our town square. They do this to remind this house Negro that he is still on the plantation. The second point that I'd like to make is that 
How this protest was organized is the perfect way to use your white privilege. Michael Sangetti, a white man, organized this protest, put it together so that me and people who look like me can make our voices heard. Contrary to whatever you have been told, I do not need you to speak for me. I speak for me. White privilege isn't a sin. It's how you use it. Don't use your privilege to silence my voice or say what you think I want to hear. People continuously ask me, what can I do to be a better white person? How can I use my privilege? As if they don't have Google. Figure it out because I'm tired. I am so incredibly tired. I'm tired of everything. Main thing I'm tired about is people telling me, relying on lawmakers to ensure the good of the community and displaying basic human decency when it comes to black lives has proven unreliable. I can prove it. I'm sick and tired of people telling me otherwise. I can prove it. That entire House Negro speech that I just made wasn't written by me. It was written by Malcolm X in 1963, 57 years ago. And every word of it is just as relevant today. If voting worked, we wouldn't be here today. I'm tired. I'm tired of seeing the same faces in office. I'm tired of having to explain to you why my black life matters. I'm tired of cops killing anyone. Nobody made you judge, jury, or executioner. I'm tired of it. My 12-year-old wanted to be here today to be proud of his mother voicing her concerns. But I told him no. Because I don't know if the Murfreesboro Police Department is going to decide they wanted to gas babies today again. I don't know if the Murfreesboro Police Department is going to decide that they want to chase people with tanks today. So no, son, you can't go. I'm tired. I am so tired. I am tired of having to explain to you why a Confederate soldier in the middle of the town square is a bad thing. If you don't want to take it down, fine. But don't tell half of the history. Tell the full history. If you are going to have that statue there, you've got to put up a statue of Mary Scales right next to it. And if you don't know who Mary Scales is, well, I feel sorry for you, sweetheart. Open up a book, pull out Google, ask Siri, because I'm tired of telling you. I'm tired.
I'm tired of seeing strange fruit of black bodies popping up all over this country yet again. We get it. We get it. You don't like us. You hate us. You want your knee on my neck. Get it. You're sick of it. And I'm sick of it too. So whereas. Taking down this statue or erecting another one right next to it. Regardless We still have bigger issues. You want to know what'll take care of this whole statue issue? What'll take care of police reform, education reform, health care reform, housing reform? You want to know what's going to be a be all end all solution to all of that? (laughs) I'm going to tell you. Governor Billing, your actions have been appalling. You are nobody's leader. You have allowed these mayors to run amok all across this state. No one is on the same page with anything. You have no plan. It is time that you come down here and address your constituents. It's time. It is past time. Now, I am aware that you do not have the authority nor the power to make this happen. But you do have the authority and the power to get the ball rolling. So, Governor Billy, I am officially inviting you to the table. To make this right. So let's start negotiations on reparations and you can give me mine in the form of a one-way ticket the hell out of here because anywhere is better than here I'm done I don't want to play anymore so Billy call me we've got some things to discuss